The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. Hello there. Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. This is Authentically You, social interaction for the mind and soul. You are listening to Society Bites Radio. I am here with my lovely boy, Cherry. My name is Dr. Richard Himmer, and for the next 25 minutes or so, we're going to talk about healing and growth and parenting again. From the inside out, we're going to cover the seven principles. At least that's the goal. We'll see where we go. Remember, you are 100% responsible for your happiness, joy, and well-being. You are also responsible for how you parent your children. Now, it's not your fault if you know you learn some rough habits from your family of origin, but it is your responsibility to figure out how to go from here. So we're going to review a little bit of what we covered last time, Cher, and then we're going to kind of pick up the new material. We left off talking about why we are the way we are. And how that affects us as parents. We we kind of brought in a little bit of your story, which was rough. You had a rough beginning, not of any fault of your own, um, but because of things that happened in your parents' lives where your dad, your biological dad, was you know pretty much out of the picture of your life really early on right. from, from toddlerhood. And what are those messages when there's a disruption of, of attachment in a child's life? So when you're the parent who may have experienced that, how do you change that when you become a parent? Which is interesting because it wasn't, you didn't come from an easy place and then you get married and you have five boys of your own. Well, one, that that was the fearful factor. You know, what happens if they are mine? You know, I've raised my siblings, at least to the degree that a teenager can. Because you were the oldest in your family. But the other challenge there is that what, what impact did this have upon you and me? I brought this into our marriage, right? And you brought your own idiosyncrasies into the marriage. Mm-hmm. I always thought your, your idiosyncrasies and um, your in-laws were far, well, your in-laws were far better than my in-laws when we first <laughs> met. That's clearly was the case. I, I've since learned differently. But the, the, the point being is that everybody's going to have their own, they're saddled with their own challenges. Yeah, we all come with our own baggage, right? Into parenting. And to, to run yourself into a victim's position and have the world be your persecutor just doesn't work. And unless you want to be miserable your whole life. But nobody does. But their false self will behave that way. Their sabotaging behavior is collusionary. So we talked a little bit about how those early traumas affect our, our perception that, that immaculate perception that can lead us out of the flow of 
um, more positive adaptive behavior. And if we're going into parenting and we're taking that behavior with us, it can become multi-generational. And so we want to look at what can become a prediction error. Trauma in early life can help us to or cause us to have what could be a prediction error. Yeah, we're going to define prediction error just so it makes sense. So this is the definition. It's an inaccurate mental model of your world. Prediction error is not a problem when one is open to further input and makes an adjustment. It's how one learns. Your brain uses predictions to initiate body movement. And the movement happens before cognitive awareness. So your body knows how to make predictions intuitively based on sensory. Well, emotionally, we make predictions intuitively, but some of those, if we're coming from a world and if our worldview is that the world is not kind and I'm not valued and I've, which is coming out of trauma, then other errors can come into play and those can get passed into our parenting And that all sits on the foundation of being traumatized without it being processed. Everybody Mm -hmm. goes through trauma. Nobody escapes that. It's how we process it. But what happens with the trauma is that we've been taught for so many years, 800 years, according to my research, to suppress emotions, females as well, but not to the level that men are. And I mentioned this in the last segment. So you've got your engineering husband and engineering father. The logical mind. Who really um, hides behind that logical mind. But what he's really hiding from is his fear of emotion. We know the subconscious is about 90% of of who you are, your your power, your success, everything is is emotionally driven. You cannot be purely logical. Spock is a fantasy because even inside that process, there's emotion involved. So we want to make sure that everybody understands and at least what the science is showing and anecdotally inside my office, when you can connect the logic with the emotion, that's really what we call intuition. So a woman's intuition, they're the first to admit that, okay, I get it. I can use my intellect. I can use my feelings. And out of that intuitive process, and they've done research on CEOs, intuition always outproduces straight logic and statistics. There's just a gut feeling about what should or should not be done. So when you have trauma, you go up this pathway of what we call immaculate perception. Inside there are also delusions. And delusion, by definition, is an idiosyncratic belief or impression that is firmly maintained despite being contradicted by what is generally accepted as reality or rational argument. Case in point, if you have to be right. Parents who have to be right, spouses who have to be right. Are delusionary. They're delusionary. Yeah. It's one of the most vicious and malicious addictions I deal with in my office. So destructive in parenting. And I'd say 90% of the people who have to be right don't know that they live in that state. Mm. And it's so harmful to relationships around because you're delusionary about what's really going on. Okay, so what happens is that's all sitting at the subconscious level. Then it gets manifested at a behavior level. So if I run into somebody who always has to be right, there's a certain energy about them. So parents who come in here, and this is the typical phone call, Dr. Himmer, this is Mr. Smith or Mrs. Smith. Um, Do you work with teenagers? Yes, I do. Why is that? Well, we have a teenager, and I'm using my words of what they're saying. I, we need you to fix him. Mm-hmm. We need you to fix her. We need you to fix our kids. Yeah. And the, always the comment for me as well, let's have you come in first. Because I know 
that they're the reason the children are that way. 99% of the, ch the challenges, there are exceptions. So I have a client right now who's got four adopted children, and I believe every adopted child was either a crack baby or a, a drug-addicted mm -hmm. mother in utero, and that's a whole different scenario. Right. Okay, right. so just if they're biological, then what we have here is it's, it's parent-driven. And so lots of times we talked about it's a relationship issue. It is, but it's really the skill set of the parent to get out of the maladaptive behavior they learned from their parents. So when we have trauma that goes unprocessed, we act maladaptively because we're not connecting. The engineers of the world, the reality is they're not connecting. They're socially, and everybody will say, I know, yeah, they're a brilliant guy, but socially, just not quite Just there. a side note, not all engineers are emotionally challenged. But they're but. so fun to pick on. you got to admit. Cause they <laughs> We're using this as a stereotype, but to teach a point. Yeah. Um, so the point being that the behavior is what's manifested, but nobody knows what's going on underneath the story. It's like the iceberg. So often we're quick to judge. And, you know, we're judging engineers, if you will. But the reality is what's underneath the story? How are they really inside? I've never met an engineer that doesn't have a soft heart. The true engineer, the true authentic them is soft, it's tender, it's loving, but they're afraid to let that come out. So they move into what we call an endogenous behavior, endogenous addictions behavior. To name an endogenous addiction, that means it's behavior driven, not drug driven or external. That's exogenous. Endogenous would be a codependence or playing the drama trap all the time, being a victim, isolating anger, sarcasm, being passive aggressive is an addiction. Holding a grudge, getting offended constantly. We live in a world of political correctness. Does anybody ever connect the fact that we're teaching our whole society to hold a grudge? Hmm. When you're teaching oh, people teaching to be victim. offended, we're you're teaching, teaching them to be, to be a victim. Mm -hmm. That gets passed generationally. We're four and five and six generations deep into being offended and to holding that offense against other people. There are lots of people who've been offended generationally. Religions have been persecuted, but we're forgetting that we don't want to live that way anymore, at least if you want to be happy. And then the exogenous addictions, they're the alcohol, illegal drugs, prescription meds, energy drinks, mm. the coffee, the marijuana, and the smoking. Okay. And sugar. Sugar's <laughs> a huge one. There's our, yeah. our food disorders, right? Okay, so inside that space, we realize that all of us are going to have these challenges based upon experiences that we had as kids. So when we're born, our, our goal, remember we talked about the goal of the parent to raise interdependent children. When they're born, it starts with being dependent. Now, Dr. Covey brought this out, but I would like to add to what he shared. Being dependent in my mind's eye when I first read it was negative once you hit 9, 10, 11, 12. Now I'm finding it's critical even now. Deta dependent simply means you attach and accept your community. So each part of this cycle that you're starting to describe, it's it's a developmental but necessary to go through each phase. Yeah. And in that dependent stage, we've got a, a new grandson in our family watching that bond. Oh, my goodness, it's so tangible. Um, this uh, An infant who can't do anything for themselves and looking to those parents, adoringly looking to them, because everything is dependent. And everything. Those parents would do anything for that child, despite the fact that that child can do nothing. 
Right. And until you have one of your own, it's so hard to know what that feels like. And when you're there, it, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. It's exhausting. It's sleep depriving. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't leave that bond and that attachment when you're in it. And the underlying reason the bond becomes so deep is because of the surface aspect. You literally are giving up yourself to serve others. But imagine if you don't have any of yourself left to give. That was what was going on with our dear Alyssa. She was just giving up everything. Well, like most parents, and they most get parents. sleep deprived, exhausted, right. and overwhelmed. Hence, we talk about rejuvenating as a parent. Mm-hmm. You're far better served to learn to rejuvenate so you can give. That's the purpose of rejuvenating. Yeah, it's such a such a fragile dance. But beca- being dependent for that child to be de- dependent and in that dependency creates the need to attach. Good. It's a beautiful thing. So the, you're gonna, your purpose is to attach and accept community. Community is first mom, second dad, third parents, parents being singular in that situation. If any of those communities get busted up, you're gonna have an attachment disorder and therein challenges start arising. So in that dependency mode, as a young infant has its needs met in a timely manner where they don't develop and we're talking in you know the very beginnings of infancy they are not developing um an issue where they fear that they won't get their needs met that that would create distrust the world is a distrusting place it's not a safe place needs are met the the seeds of trust are planted fascinating because if you have that seed of distrust and let's say you're just a six month old or and i've had many a client who has said yeah when i was six and this is in hypnosis right when i was six months old you know my mom left me on on the bed and she left me regular and then one day i remember falling off so this these you're describing scenarios that have come out of a hypnotic regression right where they've been able to bring to the conscious mind from the subconscious where they were at at six months old, something that their conscious memory could not. Right. And you realize that six months old, if you realize that the world around you has abandoned you, if mom and dad aren't present for you, you're six months old, you still have a lot of cell dividing to go on. So (laughs) you now have this cortisol effect coming into your body, the stress and the strain. And that means every cell from that point on divides with that belief structure that I'm abandoned, I'm alone, I have to do it for myself. I have to do anything to be heard or I don't have a voice, I can't be heard, I'm invisible. Cell divide, cell divide, cell divide, cell divide. So from a an epigenetic environment now becomes a genetic transfer because mm. it gets into the gene pool because each cell then divides by saying, oh, this is how I feel, this is who I am. And so you grow up and no amount of talk therapy is going to address that because it's at the subcortical level. So we got to go to the source to start the healing. And it starts with first learning that your your whole idea of where you're going came from an epigenetic transfer of maladaptive behavior. Mm -hmm. So the goal is to be dependent first, accept and attach to your community. Then you go to independent, where you can function without the community there all of the time. They're still there to support, but now you can you know, get dressed on your own, you're potty trained. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Um, You can get up in the morning on your own. (laughs) You can make a meal, for example. Um, You can do your homework on your own. You know, you want to get to come independent. To the point that you're 16 years old and have a driver's license feeling like I'm totally independent. There you you go. But the idea is that you sit, you know, you don't give up dependent. You still have attached and stayed with community. You're still there. 
Mm. until the point you can move to interdependent where you can work with someone in close proximity and the sum total of what you two do um, independent is less than what you two can do together. I love this as a view for parents because the whole process of parenting can seem one overwhelming but a bit confusing and to have that little bit of a map of yes I have this dependent child I'm going to teach them and help them and they're going to be driven to become independent foster that drive and move it but don't let it rest just there we kind of think that's the end all no the end all is when they can be an interdependent community um, provider not a consumer a provider a participant by the way you cannot go to interdependent without first going through dependent so if you're co and independent right if you're codependent which means you're enmeshed with someone else which mm-hmm. means your happiness is hinging on them and their behavior and you have to be right you don't you're not inside the dependent cycle you're outside it you're in an endogenous or an exogenous type world and you've got to go back to learning how to accept and attach to a community now you can't go back to mom and dad but you do have family around you you start with them you start with friends and that's the process you go. All right, we need to do a little bit of a switch because I want to mm-hmm. get into um, where we're going. So we talked about the importance of the four S's and the rules of engagement. We're going to talk about just two of the S's. As a parent, your job is to create safe space for your child so they can be authentic. When you bring in lots of criticisms, lots of sarcasms, lots of judging, constantly shooting on your children, a persuasive and manipulative... Let me just spell that. That's S-H-O-U-L-D-I-N-G. Well said. I know people like you should do this. Yeah, or if I were you, I would do this. That's almost always unsolicited. Mm-hmm. Shooting is unsolicited type stuff as a general rule. And then the number two is this is the scene. Feel felt. Does your child feel that they can be heard? Does your child have a voice? So parent, do they have the opportunity to be understood? <clears throat> parenting is taking the responsibility for the development of your offspring from a dependent child to an independent young adult, culminating in an interdependent existence. That's where we're going. All right, so one of the things we wanna talk about is we're gonna go right down the seven principles of parenting and we'll see where we go. I have no idea what time frames will be and we can always pick this up later. So number one, use connection, not separation when disciplining. For example, that story you told about Charles, even the idea that there would be a punishment slash consequence, it was going to involve you connecting with him, which and then some of our other sons, it involved, um, you get to go out and exercise with dad. Right. Yeah. So when he called, by the way, this is how the connection went. And I I wish I could say I knew what I was doing then. I didn't. But when he (laughs) called, he said, hey, dad, um, we know what we're going to do now. I said, okay, and he told me, and he said, we're going to a movie. Now, the traditional way of parenting, the way I was raised, um, I would have then quickly done the math and realized the movie doesn't start till 1030, which means the movie won't get out till 1230, which means he won't get to the car until 1245, which means he won't get home until about 130. I'm 90 minutes past curfew. I would not have given him the chance to go through that process. I would have simply said, no, curfew's at midnight. You'll be home by midnight. And then as a parent, I'm thinking, see, I held my boundary. I'm such a good parent. Mm. Well, and all, with all due respect to those of you who think that, you just were a disaster in that moment. 
Well, a you missed just, opportunity. You just pushed your child away from you thinking based upon probably what you were taught to do, that you're to tell your child, hold that boundary at all costs. Now that doesn't work. Dr. Siegel, and I forget his co-author, she's brilliant as well, teaches the concept of connect and redirect. So we need to be able to connect left side brain, right side brain. So we need to cover that real quick. Left side brain. It's all L related. It's list, linear, literal, logical, and linguistic. All L's. It's the text. This is the engineer. Mm -hmm. It's just the text. <clears throat> okay. Right side of the brain. Context. It's the alphabet. Facial features. Tone of voice. The big picture of everything. The gestures. I'm moving my hands right now. I'm throwing them all over the emotions and images. It brings context to the text. So when Charles came and said, hey dad, we know what we're going to do now. I said, okay, I'm listening to him. I'm connecting with them. So often when the three-year-old does something wrong, what's the first thing out of the mother's or the father's no. mouth? No, <laughs> that's going right to text. Mm -hmm. You're telling them what to do. Right. We need to, and not that there aren't situations. Oh, yeah. They're going to, like when our son lit his head on fire. Right. I didn't want to sit and chat with him. I didn't even say no. I just slapped the head. Stuart. That's a good one. We'll have to get to. Yeah, we'll have to do that sometime. So to be able to connect means I'm going to be with my child. Remember, it's connect, not separate when disciplining. When all, Whenever we punish, you know what? We'll finish up on this when we have just a couple minutes left. One of the greatest punishments I remember doing with my children was when they violated the curfew. It was uh, it was Andrew and Stuart Andrew this and time. Stuart. This is our second and third borns. Um, so they went over to my friend's house, our friend's house, our uh -huh. best friend's house. And while they were there, they watched a movie and didn't get home till like one o'clock in the morning. And uh, so they walked in the door really late. And I said, oh, gentlemen, how you doing? They go, good. What movie did you watch? Or what were you doing? Uh, we were watching a movie. What movie did you watch? And they told me. I said, where have you been? And they go, well, you know where we've been. We've been at the Holmes house. I said, okay. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, what time's curfew? And and if, by the way, if you listen to my voice and everything here, this is what we want to talk about. Keeping it when, neutral. When's curfew? Oh, it's at midnight. And then they go, but dad, we were at your friend's house. I said, right. And what's the rules behind curfew? Well, but dad, we're at your friend's house. <laughs> I said, right. We've established that now. When's, when's curfew? And they said, well, it's at midnight. Right. What's the rules around curfew if you're going to be late? Well, to call. Right. Looking at my cell phone here. But, Dad, you knew where we were. Right. So what's happening is that I'm just listening to them. I'm not telling them they're wrong or they're right. I'm just asking them questions. Notice who's doing the judging. Because I'm not trying to drive them into a corner. Right. So in that moment, what I said was, all right, guys, um, there needs to be a consequence because of time. I want to kind of bring this short. There's going to be a consequence. Help me out. What are we going to do for the consequence? And they go, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I can think of two things. I can have you restricted from your weekends for the next two to three weeks, or you can spend two hours with me tomorrow starting at 9 a.m. in the kitchen. And they both went quiet for a minute. And they looked at me and they go, what are we going to do? <laughs> and I said, well, 
I want you to wear your shorts, your running shoes, a t-shirt. This was summertime. And even in Washington, you can wear a t-shirt and shorts. And they go, what are you going to make us do? He says, well, I'll see you at nine o'clock or else you can just take off the next two weekends. <laughs> now, keep in mind, we've never... We've never restricted our children like that. I don't think I can remember a time where we've had to. Well, do this. they had options. Yeah, like you're giving them some voice. And so they said, "No, we'll we'll meet you in the kitchen." I said, "All right." So I went running that morning um, with with my buddy, and he was pretty mad at me for punishing my children. But the point being that we got back that morning, and at nine o'clock I was ready. I'd already run five miles, and for the next two hours we did calisthenics, we did running, push-ups, sit-ups. But the end fifteen minutes was the big deal. I had them sit down and write on a piece of paper what happened. And map out what happened in that scenario. What they did. And then I had them do a retake on paper. Now, knowing what you do now, what would you do differently? And they wrote down exactly what they would have done reflection. And that was the punishment. We had a great time. They still remember yeah, the punishment. Yeah, it wasn't you barking day. like it was boot camp. But they, they were laughing and having fun. And it was totally bringing you into their lives and building a relationship moment and not a punishment moment. It wasn't about the discipline. That's connect. Mm -hmm. And then we were able to redirect it the last 15 minutes by having them just, what's a retake here? The children were being children. They weren't malicious. They weren't mean. So we're kind of out of time here. We've got principle number one of seven. We'll pick this up in the next one. And we're actually going to segue over the next multiple segments into marriage into relationships, mm-hmm. the same kind of principles and how they apply. And then we can segue right into work and how that works. We'll talk about workplace bullying. Takeaways from today, Sherry, what what did we pick up? Um, that connect redirect, like get over the idea that you're, you're this authoritarian that has to di- discipline, make it more about the connection with the child, um, especially in a moment of where maybe you think they're out of bounds. Um, especially with teenagers. But let them find out. Let them do the discovering. Rigidity is when you have to be right. Chaos is when you don't care. You push the children away when you have to be right, when it's all about you. It's not. It's really all about the relationship you have with the child. And then you model the relationships that they will have when they're adults. If it's rigid, they become you. Too many of my clients are mirroring their parents. And that is so driven by that whole um, interdependency model that we talked about, knowing that they started dependent, we w- they need to get to be independent, right. but the end goal is that interdependency. It changes how you see how you're going to handle difficult situations and how you're going to handle your own emotional trauma that you've brought from your family. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions or comments, please contact contact us at Dr. H at himmercenter.com. That's D-R-H at himmercenter.com. Remember, all resources are within you and challenges that come your way are perfect. Exactly what you need at this time to grow and come closer to integration. Perfect is a mistake that gets a retake. If you're enjoying this, tell a friend and leave a comment on Sprecher. All the best now. Bye now. my head I try to turn it down but I can't quite drown it out I'm tortured every day these never-ending worries falling on my sleeve so many times now
The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.